0: All the guitarists to play is yeah uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Oh, well, it's just got to be simple. If if, that even, eh? if, that, if even. that even if that even
1: yeah, you know it. My guest today is Phil Sobrano. Phil has performed, played guitar, recorded and written music with many of the finest musicians this country has to offer over the last 30 years. Phil spent many of his touring and recording years as co-songwriter, collaborator and musical director, producer with his sister Kate Sobrano. Phil also runs a school holiday program, Rock Academy, for young musicians and also continues to track guitar and create content in his studio Aloha Studios. On top of that, Phil is creative director for Flourish PR, a PR company operated by his wife Angela. Now this conversation with Phil was a lot of fun. Many laughs, beers, nuggets of wisdom, impersonations, theories, mantras and stories. When I'm putting these podcasts together, I ask my guests to send me some music which I can use for the intro. Um, I chased Phil up a few times and yesterday he just said, stop this. I'll write and record a track especially for the episode. That's what you can hear now. And he's called it Stevie Burtz. <laughs> you can hear the whole song at the end of this episode. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Phil Sobrano. I think we're rolling. Phil Sobrano. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast.
0: Mate, it's good to be here. Man. Very good.
1: Good to meet you. Yeah, I I, I was um, wondering if
0: we'd met before in the flesh.
1: Um, I saw you play once um, <laughs> and I was trying to track back the year today and it was, I reckon, it was either 2001 or 2002 and it was at the Harborside Brasserie and you were playing guitar with Professor Groove. Okay. Yeah, and Kelvin yeah. Welsh was playing drums. That was, was some heady days indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, my wife's a big Professor Grew fan. Oh, yeah. And um, dragged me and, me and the crew down there. It was an awesome night. I'll never forget it. Yeah, well, Josh
0: and Roland um, were, they were um, kind of like uh, funk rebels. Yeah. Funk punk rebels. Yep. And I always dug the way that, you know, because like with the funk scene, like any scene, it can get very kind of like, it can get quite narrow, and and then suddenly there's parameters of what is considered um, credible funk. Yeah, or you know, it's the same with jazz and everything, right? Yeah. Um, and I really like those kind of scoundrels that um, that don't really stick within those parameters, you know. And those two guys were like that, and it, I was really tr- always loved playing in that band. It was a lot of fun,
1: Professor how, Groove. Yeah. How how often did you play with them?
0: Yeah there was there was a time there where it was you know two or three nights a week for like maybe jeez maybe three or four years yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah so i mean you're in melbourne now so how yeah. how um how long were you in
0: sydney cuz you were here for a bit yeah yeah i was i'm i kind of landed in sydney uh on my way back from the states uh doing an album with kate and i think it might have been about 19 19- Ninety three or four, and then I escaped Sydney. <laughs> uh, Smart uh, back man, <laughs> to, back back to Melbourne yeah. uh, with my tail between my legs. Oh, uh, around two thousand and two, I think.
1: So, tail between your legs. What, what do you mean? What what happened?
0: Okay, so. Sydney around that time, you know, you're talking about Professor Groove and the booty affair. Around that time, um Sydney was on fire. Like Bondi was wild. It was filled with um, creative people, actors, musicians, um artists, people people writing plays, photographers, you know, and of course you had all the Models and the media and all of those types as well uh but it was it was kind of it was bohemian, if you like, like it was commercial bohemian, if you like, it was wild Bondi bohemian yeah, and um there was a lot of partying and a lot of fun to be had um i'd I'd moved up from Melbourne, and Melbourne was always pretty wild as well, and a lot of gigs, but then when I moved up to Sydney around that time. I seemed to get in with the right crew and and to be playing a lot of gigs. Uh, there was a funk scene, mm. the Bondi funk scene, yeah, which was kind of coming up, and um, there were pubs where they would have these jam nights. And you know, we all love DJs, but this was like um, a real band mm. f- and a packed, sweaty room, yeah. all dancing, having yeah. a great time. You know, with and it was really quite unpretentious. And it was quite devil may care, and it was sort of um, there was no real snobbery or anything about it, you know. Yeah. Um, but then, after about, I guess it was seven or eight years of that, and you know, the partying and the and everything, it just it just kind of after a while, it just gets gets the better of you if you don't yeah. find a centre, if you don't find some kind of. Um, I guess, spiritual, whatever you, have, however you want to call it, yep. uh, centre, yep. balance, you know, you go into, you can go into a dark place. I didn't go too dark, right, but a lot of friends of mine were casualties of that scene. Uh, and you can find those scenes anywhere, you know. So I went back to Melbourne for a fresh start and I started all over again, back oh, and around.
1: Yeah, good yeah. on you. I kind of, yeah. I think I know what you mean by that, um... Kind of it starting to get dark because yeah, it was around that time. Well, just before that time, actually. I, like I met my wife in two thousand or uh, two thousand. Yeah. Um. A couple of years leading up to that, and sort mm. of a couple of years after. Mm. Yeah, it was some pretty dark sort of party times, you know. And um. Yeah. yeah I'm, like, I'm I'm just lucky I found my wife. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know where I'd be. I don't even know if I'd be here to be honest. Me, but it was. T- like, it was like that. It was I know what you too. mean by just a? It was just a crazy time around that time.
0: Yeah, and, you know, when I say spiritual centre, I I don't necessarily just mean spirituality. I know what you mean. I mean, you know what I mean? Like getting in touch with what's actually really important on a big, big scale, on a big picture thing, beyond just your own pleasure dome, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, like, I don't want to say I didn't have a great time. Are you kidding me? It was was awesome, you know. It was really, really awesome. Yeah. But just. Too many nights getting home, and the sun was already up, and you've been <laughs> at Cuba, and you know, yeah. <laughs> or, or I remember one night, uh, after the second booty affair gig of the night it would start at like 1 a.m. and go through till 4 at around midnight, and <laughs> uh, in the cross, yeah, and I remember kind of like. Um, well, the positive and negative is the negative was I was sort of falling asleep because I was just completely, you know, done. Mm. But the positive on the funk and the groove, and you're playing with someone like Calvin Welsh, yeah, and you're playing one guitar part for fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, you so Professor
1: le- Groove jams, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you soon learn about yeah. the pocket, you know, yeah. and yeah,
0: for sure, and and learning to kind of like, okay, well, I've just played. Eight bars are the same thing. Now I'm going to play another eight bars and it's going to be even funkier. How do you do that without changing it much? You just lock in with Calvin. You yeah. know, you you listen closer to the to where he's putting the hi hats and the kick. And there were times where it could go for 10 minutes on a just a real and, and then it could lift without any kind of dynamic lift necessarily, yeah. but just pocket. Yeah. And I learn a lot about that. Yeah. Back then, yeah. So yeah, so that was the that was the kind of um, yeah the positives and minus of that scene, and you know, really learned a lot about music, you know, then. So it was a good time.
1: Very cool. Let's talk a little bit um, about COVID nineteen. Um, you know, the last bunch of guests I've had, we've kind yeah. of kind of started with that because I mean, obviously. Um, like I said, it's the elephant in the room. <laughs> like everybody's Absolutely. life's changed and um and what I have been asking is what what you were doing up to um, you know, maybe a month or two before COVID hit. Yeah. And then from when COVID hit, what what got blown out um and and yeah. where you're at now?
0: Yeah, okay. So um I'm I'm uh I, I've ended up wearing a lot of hats down here in yep. Melbourne. Um and I have my I have a lot of different projects on the go uh and a lot of different options. I've got corporate gigs, I've got pub gigs, I've got um a full time gig is, excuse me, I just burped
1: because of I that do it
0: all the time. Awesome cold yep. beer that I've got. I yeah,
1: actually scared. I've got a um I've got this module and it's got a, a noise gate on it. Yeah, it's great. Perfect for burps. Eh? <laughs> I've <Fantastic. laughs> send you the setting. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, what was I saying? Um, so, I wear a lot of hats. I've got I'm, uh, my full time gig as of like five years ago has been, uh, and still is as a creative director with uh, my uh, our family business. My wife and I have a uh, PR company called Flourish PR, yep. and um, that's that's been a real eye-opener and a real education and a fantastic insight into the way things are, the way hype is created, the way communications, uh, the way you communicate your brand, all that sort of stuff. I've learned a real lot about that and I've gotten into social media and content creation, filming content, editing um, and learning about social media and marketing through that. So Mm. that's one of the things i do another thing that i do is uh, i run a school holiday program called rock academy um the interesting thing with that was that was that f- sort of 4 weeks after the lockdown started we had a uh, a rock academy planned which is something i can talk about at length but basically mm. it's a school holiday program where we get young kids to um to prepare f- for a gig so it starts monday and they got the gig on friday um we obviously because of COVID and the lockdown, we had to take that online, um, and I was absolutely blown away that you know we got twenty kids, so we got uh, four bands, and they online through Zoom, the way we're talking now, mm. put the song together, put a, put an original song together. One of them would become like the engineer and record the parts that would be emailed in, right? Mm. Mm-hmm and they 'd write and write and produce the song, and then they made a film clip right they'd oh, all send brilliant. in they all send in their little videos that they'd take on their iPhones and send them in and then we had like a live online sort of viewing concert on the Friday night, yeah, which awesome. was great you know um so that sort of that was happening before the lockdown um I got a gig cancelled, a massive corporate gig cancelled on the day that they they were going to have the Melbourne Grand Prix and they uh, cancelled right, that right. on on the day they cancelled it so then the corporate gig I was to have that night cancelled huge gig they yeah. they they paid and it was all great oh, good. but it was a but it was a really um a really big gig that we do every that I've done every year for the last 7 years um and then from then pretty much all gigs like we all know are are done, and we don't, we're not really certain uh, when they're going to come back. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, that's where we're at. And the, the thoughts that I've been having on this, if I can share them, please, are that what we have to get back to, um, and when you're doing a podcast, you run the risk of feeling like you have to speak. In very profound terms the whole time,
1: nah not this podcast right but <laughs> you what say, been, you say how you want to say it man <laughs> what I've been thinking of a lot is
0: that we have to we have to come back to a the pure essence of creativity and realize that we're all brothers and sisters in the same field, whether you're um a visual artist whether you're a musician, whether you're a Screenwriter, or a designer, or an architect—we're all. I'm not going to use that fucking Ben Lee quote. If I hear that term again, <laughs> right? I just want to go out and I want to punch myself in the face. I don't. I don't
1: style. know what it is. So you're going to have to say
0: it one more now time. You right? know
1: what it is, brother. You, <laughs> Let's, that, we're all in this together. Oh, you oh, said <laughs> it. I got it. <laughs> bam, bam, oh, boom. Glove. <laughs> right, I think that's but, the only Ben Lee song I know. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. Oh, good on him. Bless his
0: heart. Yeah, for sure. Um, but um, no, that what I was going to say is that creatives, the new norm should be that we are one. If you're a creative, we're we're all one sort of thing, and we all can share and adapt and and in the same way as my wife took me on board as a creative director in a PR company. Mm. Because she just said, "No, you've got great ideas. You're the uh, you think and live and breathe outside the square. You're mm. perfect for this. Mm. Because we're in it, you're able to look from outside and actually might maybe come up with some ideas that that we would never thought of, right? Yeah. That's the essence of creativity. When you're writing a song, and you write." Uh, let's say n- uh, Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit, which is a sort of an adaptation of Wild Thing with a little bit of one chord difference, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But they look at it from a different angle, and they talk about uh, the content within it is about angst and teen suffering, and you know all of that. With Dave Grohl on drums, you've got a hit because they haven't they haven't contrived it from commercial interest or from a record company's kind of thing. They've just gone, well, that's where our heart's at, and, and let's think from a creative perspective, a true spiritually connected creative perspective. I know I'm sounding a bit whack, right? No, but no, you're a- But But this, the new norm for all of us is that, like, you know, I've, an example, and I know I'm kind of like um, I'm riffing here, but, um, like, I've got a mate who's an incredible drummer, but he's also an amazing animator. He does incredible animation stuff. Mm. Now, he'll go, okay, pivot, shift. Now I'm just going to do some more animation, you know, and some animation stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I play guitar, I do gigs, I'm a band leader, I'm all of that sort of stuff. But I might think about doing some voiceover stuff. Yeah. Because I'm sitting here now and I'm thinking of <laughs> and with my mic, you know. And I don't know.
1: We need to all just, just, just on. The, hang on, I'm, I want to yeah. paint. I want to paint a picture of you doing the voiceover here. Yeah. So Phil, um, is wearing what looks like a leopard. It's a leopard print cardigan. Leopard stole print off, cardigan. Yep. I stole off my wife. Yeah. Right. Leopard. Leopard skin cardigan. He's got yeah. a bear in his hand. His hair's a little bit, a little bit whack.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so
1: just do that voiceover again,
0: just do that. Okay, well, you know, the, the voice that comes to me, if yeah. I was to to, to to go there with the way I'm sort of dressed and feeling right now, let me let me take you there. All right. Oh, you want to know where I got this from? All right, so uh, we've got 58 Les Paul here. Um, <laughs> um, I've always been a Telecaster player, as you know, but... Um, I uh I found that when I was playing the um the big festivals you know the big concerts the <laughs> telly the telly just wasn't thick enough you know and so uh Jeff Beck gave me this uh 58 and uh you know it was it was heavy it was uh, thick sounding it wasn't didn't feel right but the next gig we play was like Wembley arena and uh, it was perfect for it so it ha- wasn't by choice that i chose this guitar it was <laughs> simply because it was it was uh practical <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's the that's right that's the zone i get into <laughs> right that's brilliant
1: yeah
0: you know the generic english blues guy
1: yeah yeah very good i was yeah. thinking i was thinking that was Oh, the Jimmy, pa- that was Jimmy, a pa- little bit of Jimmy Page there. That's it. Yeah, a little bit yep. of Jimmy
0: Page. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, a little bit of Keith, a little, bit, little, bit, of little Keith. bit of Keith there. It's but very you're probably generic. a little bit, you're a lot more. Um, oh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You're a lot better with your words than Keith probably would have been. Sure. Uh, yeah. Keith on a good day, perhaps. Or, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what I love about some of those guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I love it when uh, Jimmy Page speaks, and he, it's um, it's kind of up here, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> you know, Robert would come to me with uh, all these lyrics, and uh, we'd uh, be like, you know, can't you write a song about a sexy girl? And instead, you're coming to me with songs about freaking Gandalf and gnomes and all that. <laughs> and I'm like, what fuck? What's this? Um, you know, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Oh, too good. Yeah, so, you know, we yep. all have to learn to pivot and adapt and, and stuff um, and not just feel that we're one-dimensional. And if we do feel that the, that that we're a one-trick pony, now is the perfect time to get online and learn some stuff. You know, yep. I've been trying to train myself up a little bit more on um, streaming software and uh, the right kind of... Cameras to use and and all of that kind of stuff, um, and for any guitarists out there, you know, we're going to find that that sort of stuff's crucial to mentor online. You know, to be yep. having two camera angles with some good audio and be able to sort of do live lessons and things like that. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of this, this, a lot of what holds us back from learning new stuff. Is fear that will, you know, because I'm a muso and I kind of, I've quite often been known to say, um, oh, hey, what would I know? I'm just a, I'm just a dumbass rock and roller, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's that attitude that we can't afford to have anymore to hold us back because, no, we may not be Einsteins so or we may not be, you know, Elon Musk, right? Mm. But there's even certain parts of our brains that those guys don't have that we have mm. that it's allowed us to learn an instrument, you know? Mm. Yeah. So we tap into those things and we make them work for us in fields that we may not have thought we were cut out to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Editing, for example, is something I, I never thought I'd be, you know, I'd be like, the second I would get into the program, a Final Cut Pro or something like that. Oh, you and mean for, for video? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it would, it be. Or, I, hey, even even Pro Tools. When I first started getting into Pro Tools, um, I was like, I was too scared to touch the mouse. Too scared that I would ruin something. You know? Right. It wasn't until I realised that you actually, it all stays in the brain of it. You know, that you can actually undo and stuff. That I could, I felt free enough to move forward with it. You know? Yeah, right, right. But um. Yeah, so think, I think we can all come together and help each other out and create new ways to, to move forward, you know, yeah. after this. That was a very long-winded response to the COVID question, but... No, no, I'm, no, it's cool. I'm trying to be... I'm not trying to be... I'm only going to be positive about this because there has been some really positive and great things that have come out of it. Yep. Um, and you can only really focus on that because that's the only thing that's going to get us through. Yeah.
1: You yeah. talk about... you. You know, you, talk, you just talked about then the – like the video and the streaming and stuff like that. Mm. Um, There's kind of two sides yeah, of this yeah. at the moment. Um, Some people – and I, to be honest, at the start of all this, I said I will only look at stuff that's really high quality and sounds really good and yeah. it's like the whole nine yards, right? Yeah. And I kind of thought that until – I started watching Peter Northcote's There you go videos. Yeah. Right. Peter does spend a lot of time, but what's I think what's great about Peter's stuff is that there are mistakes there. Yep. And you know, it it's it's there for everybody to watch. And um Yeah, it's got it's got those mistakes in it and but people are watching it, man. You know, like, like it's mate, it's you, you nailed it
0: you nailed yeah. it you you nailed it because what peter has is heart yeah. peter is a caring loving guy yeah. right and he has he's not only a virtuoso right but he he's a communicator now this is one of the things we're going to have to get on top of and get reconnect with with the new norm is that art and creativity and musicianship and all of the things that go along with being a uh, creative is about communication. It's about connection. It's about, you know, if you ever had to say in a band that we're, we're an inclusive band, it's almost like by saying it, you, you where were, what were you before? Mm. Because music is by nature inclusive because it's communication, you know? Mm. So it has to be that. Um, peter northcote is is that kind of guy now, if you talk about the the key word and again almost like some of these things it when you say the word uh the idea disappears but when you what you're talking about is authenticity right mm. and authenticity is people being real mm. and being honest and open. It's a real tricky one in show business because On one side, we're being asked to be real and authentic and open and honest. On the other side, if you're real, authentic, open and honest, you better be prepared to be cut down by the media as well Mm. for being fragile, vulnerable, outspoken, fully yourself, arrogant, conceited. Mm. So we're in turmoil, right? But what we can do now is we can actually take back our own brand online and with with online people choose to tune in. You know, they, they it's their choice, like a podcast. Yeah. You know, they 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 choose to. So if they if someone doesn't like what you're saying then they can they can go. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. And I don't agree with everything he says, but I agree with the fact that he's allowed to say it, you know, yeah, and share it. it. Yeah. You know? I'll fight for the for his right to have his voice, right? Yeah. But I won't fight necessarily for some of the things that he that he might say. You know what I mean? But the, <laughs> yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So similarly, um, when it comes to uh, authenticity, we have to be able to have a look at ourselves and go, "Well, what am I? You know, what what am I? Who am I? Um, what can I what can I share that that's real? You know, and he's doing that, and that and that's what's yeah. and all. You know, like. A lot of the time I think, and I think it might come from maybe from music teachers or definitely music Nazis. They're so focused on getting it right that they miss all the gorgeousness of 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 um of the, the journey and the adventure of maybe a couple of bung notes in there or a couple of weird sounds. You know, I call them goobers. Sometimes when I'm yeah. recording a track, you know, there'll be some weird String pop or out of tune note or whatever, and on first listen, I go, "Oh, that's terrible." Yeah. But then I keep the track and I keep going back to it, and then I use that track because that's the that's the interesting, authentic, real, non robotic thing that we love. We love to hear that. Similarly, when you know, when we're, you and I have a conversation, we're having beers and we're going to burp, you know. <laughs> That's not going to happen on mainstream commercial TV. In fact, yeah. they'll manufacture it like you see them do on some of those shows. And you and I both smell a rat. We go, yeah, well, that's that's manufactured. That's produced, you know. There's no such thing as reality TV anymore because it's it's all being produced as entertainment, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, I'm getting very profound and long-winded but, like, you know, yeah, guys like Peter Northkit um, there's a mate of mine uh, down here in Melbourne, Marcel Yamuni, who's also like Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, just been... a f- freak. Right? Yep. Freak.
1: And he he got on there And the he other he's no- he's doing the live stream, live pro- stream. production stuff. Like yeah. he's going he's live streaming his Yeah. project and, yeah. and talking about the plugins and yeah. this and that. yeah, it's great. Really it's, it's
0: legendary.
1: Yep. You know, and he he actually did a very
0: open and honest post the other day, a video. Um Having a go at people just pointlessly putting sort of smart-ass comments. Smart, yeah, smart yeah. Ass comments, you yeah know?
1: that's right. Yeah, I saw that.
0: And yeah. I, I respect him for it. You know, I yep. appreciate it. I'm like, dude, good on you. Good yeah. on you. You know, because part of that whole snide comment thing is that those people aren't actually doing great stuff themselves. <laughs> and They've got nothing else better to do than just sit there and hang shit or whatever that's in it. their own way, you know. That's it. And again, though, I'll say I'll fight for their right to have their freedom of speech, right? But but I but if I had to pick, I would fight more for Marcel's right to yep. tell them to pull their head in, you yep. know. Yep. So yeah, it's a, it, yeah. So yeah, geez, we're really getting deep. This is this is much deeper than any other podcast I've done. This is great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Gonna have a swig of my beer, yeah. And and just because you noticed, uh, you, you said before that it was okay to burp. Yeah, I've just turned the noise gate off, <laughs> oh, so you're gonna, you're, yeah. gonna, you're gonna hear my burps now. So okay, that, great. This is what's all great. about. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, let's kind of roll back a little bit now. Yeah, man. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's it is fairly documented. Um, you know your 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 career and yeah. Um, a mate of mine has a podcast, the Guitar Speak podcast. Yes. Matt Wakling and yep. you did an episode with him. Yeah, so I I I recommend people go back and listen to that because that's really good. Um, so we'll touch a little bit on some of that stuff. Um, yeah. Um, so I want to know where you're born and sort of your your musical upbringing. All of that, and we'll yeah. sort of yeah, we, we we don't have to go through all of it, but just basically, and let's sort of just lead up. Yeah, yeah, um, sure.
0: Yep. Okay, so uh, here's the story. Um, I was born in Hawaii, and uh, my father was a uh, um, in the United States Marine Corps, um, and he was a, a trumpet player, and he was in the marching band called the Drum Drum and Bugle Team and so they uh they after it was in the early 60s as a sort of a goodwill PR sort of thing they toured around the world and they were quite famous at the time very precision marching and you know throwing the trumpets in the air and fantastic sort of stuff and my dad was a was a sergeant um and they were out in Australia and uh that's where he met my mother and then um it was a wild romance, and then he came back and took her like months later, and took her back to Hawaii. They got they got married and um, had my older brother, myself, and then Kate was born back here in Australia when when we moved back when I was about two or three. Um, so there's there's always been a real connection with Hawaii, um, and the music uh, from Hawaii. It, it's sort of like um, it's aloha music, as you would know from, you know, like the harmonies and and everything from like the islands is not not like anything else. And I, I can only really, I can only really kind of compare it to say when I hear uh, mariachi music from Mexico mm-hmm. or Spanish Spanish ballads. There's a thing, and I. Realized, Well, not realised, but I, I researched it, and actually the whole ukulele kind of Hawaiian singing style comes from Mexican cowboys that really went, right. o- went, went over to Hawaii uh, in the early, early, early days to uh, as cattle, cattle cowboys. And um, they've got that way of singing that's sort of, I don't know, it's very moanful and, you know. Um, so that's had a real connection with me musically. And sort of embodied itself in Kate and I. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in Melbourne uh, in the late '60s and '70s, my dad is a martial arts legend mm-hmm. uh, in in the field of karate and and Filipino fighting arts. And um, so he he um, we, we all we all trained in karate. Kate didn't, but my brother and I still train, and my brothers have become quite s- successful in that field as well mm-hmm. um but this sort of like this is an interesting thing and i think we've we've spoken a little bit about this but um this is where i kind of developed my fascination for heroes and heroism mm-hmm. and look and and mentors and people to look up to and later in life in fact um I've realised that we've dropped a little bit of that, that sense of um, uh, having the elders of the tribe and the people that we looked up to, that we respected, that gave us guidance, that we could go to. I always had that. I had people around me that I could get that, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I get worried sometimes that the youth of today don't have that, and so that's why I set up Rock Academy to create right. a sense that the people that came before them you don't just respect them because you should or just because you respect them because of what they can share with you you know and that's mm-hmm. very much an islander thing as you'd probably know yep it's it's about the Mariah. it's about the the um the 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 spirit of the community you know and you all come together um this was something that was in our family ever since we were kids, and 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 remains. You know, it's obviously has its rocky road sometimes. You know, but uh, that kind of support system, you know, yep. and that's always come through in in anything that Kate and I have done together. Um, you know, playing music together, um, and that was yeah, that was how it all started. Does
1: that give you a sort of a foundation of where we totally, 100%, yeah, percent, yep. It's a bit, and diff- and I didn't I didn't realise that. I I didn't. I didn't know that. The the. I mean, I've I've seen you, um, you know, talk about aloha and stuff like Mm. that. But I Mm. I didn't realize that that was, that was the connection there with Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, There
0: would there'd be another. There'd be a lot more levels to it. But um, as the story goes, my my grandparents moved from the Philippines to Hawaii in the. 30s, and then my father was born there in the 40s and grew up as a tough street fighting, you know, rough, poor kid growing up in the plantation fields. It was like the the corn, the cane fields. It was really, it was really rough for him. So he discovered um, martial arts, and um, that's what sort of got him through. Um, and I think that I've kind of um inherited a sense of uh, um, well a sort of a working class sense really that you have to struggle through stuff mm. which which is good and bad because yes it's yes it's it's a great idea to not to know that you have to work really really hard to get what you want, but in the first world right it's almost like sometimes if there isn't that struggle you'll create it you know because you're a creative person mm. so i grew up in northbourne and it was just pleasant and gorgeous and leafy streets and there wasn't poverty there wasn't i mean we didn't have a whole lot of money but you know we did we we always ate you know and we we, we always had clothes and shoes on our feet so we weren't like struggling mm. um and so, I remember thinking, "Well, how can I play the blues? <laughs> you right. know how can i how can I honestly write a song about struggle and turmoil and you know, um I've got trouble on my mind' I'm, you know I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm angry all the time, and blah blah blah. So I sort of had to create that thing, that rock and roll thing, you know. Because it wasn't like I was, you know, you talk, you hear about guys like Jeff Beck and, you know, um, Mick Jagger and them growing up in poverty-stricken kind of England streets and it's all cold and drab. Those guys can play the blues, you know, because it's like struggle, you know. Um, But then musically what that does, I think, is it gives, when you've got so much choice is you go, okay, well, let's let's try and create something new. And a lot of Melbourne musicians in the eighties, seventies and the eighties just went, oh okay well let's let's experiment, you know, and that's when you got things like hunters and collectors, Nick Cave and the bad seeds you got um you got just experimental music, you know um you got people fusing early, early, barely can play jazz with funk and that's how you got I'm talking right they what they were quite basic as players in the beginning in the and you know and then they got the influences from overseas and we didn't have the internet we didn't have like you know MTV you only had little bits of stuff that you could hear and 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 get from record stores and so you'd fuse things in in a way like because we didn't have those things to compare ourselves to um, you sort of went well. Why not? Why, why? 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 Let's let's have a go, you know. And and yeah. So that was a really great place to grow up in Melbourne in the eighties. Was amazing going to 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 places like the Crystal, the the Sea View Ballroom in St Kilda, and you know uh, seeing bands. I mean, just watching Kate's um evolution in the early days was freaking mind blowing. You know, like she could sing jazz overnight, and people would say, "Oh, she's obviously studied uh, Billie Holiday, hasn't she?" And I remember saying to this woman, "Well, no, I live with Kate. We, she's fifteen, and we live in North Bourne and she, she's the only records she's heard are my records, and they're not Billie Holiday. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, so so who
1: were you listening? Yeah, who were you listening to? Okay, so
0: I was listening the early, the first sort of things I listened to were. Mum and Dad's records, and that was like, um, well, Neil Diamond, Stevie Wonder, um, Van Morrison, Santana, Fleetwood Mac, all the good stuff, you know. Mm, yeah. And then as I got into electric guitar playing, it was um, it was Led Zeppelin, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, a little bit more Santana, um, and then the eighties really came into full swing, and I got into The Cure, Echo and the Bunnymen, um, uh, New Order, Mm. not so much Joy Division. Right. um, The Smiths a little bit. Um, I got into, very heavily got into like the mod scene, which was like Mm. um, R&B, Soul, The Jam, uh, The British Beat, The Selector, and a bit of Scar and that kind of stuff. Mm. And then... I think what happened was all of those things came together. Um after all of that it came together and sort of like this explosion went off in me and it was about funk music. Yeah, right. Right. We were in Paris uh touring around with Kate's jazz group from we'd been at Scot in Scotland playing the uh, Edinburgh Festival and um we're in a club in Paris and I'll never forget, it was uh, the funky drummer was playing and in this nightclub and there was one girl dancing on the dance floor and that beat and I was like, okay, this is something. And then Sex Machine and all of those things. Yep. It was so raw and crude and kind of like broken down. It was, you know, this is the 80s so everything was overproduced. Yep. And it was just so Boom, and then I heard, so I heard James Brown and the JBs and the Meters, and then I got back into Booker T and the MGs and all that stack sort of sound, and yep. I was like, okay. And I learned a few things. I learned a lot about guitar that it wasn't just playing as many, you know, super strokes as you could. It was about breaking down the the. The rhythms and seeing how we're, how it works in with the drums and bass, you know, and trying to kind of analyze that. And one day I'll do a video on my take of, you know, what funk is like. Like an example, is a lot of people, and I've seen videos where a lot of people, uh they go, oh, this is an introduction to funk. So, so one of the funk chords is a is a is a nine chord, and it sounds like this, right? And so, really, with <laughs> funk, you got to. And they do that and it's like, well, yeah, that's like, that. that's part of it, but really it's more like, and it's not about breaking down those notes, it's more like just kind of feeling the groove in your soul and kind of breaking. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. but And then being able to get back to full chords. but. It's those little bits, and it's actually connected to what you're saying before about authenticity, yeah. it do- It's not about getting it right by the way it's sort of the- theoretically. It's about feeling it, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, and so that hit me big time. and like the the riff from uh sex machine, right. I thought was, right, which sounds pretty funky. It's actually, the riff goes, there's no incidental notes. You know why? Yeah. Because it's played by the drums. The drums, exactly. (laughs) Right? So (laughs) why why step on his toes? Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's the funky drummer. Yeah. He's doing all the grace notes on the snare. And my theory there is, I'm sure it's been talked about before. I'm not going to own it as my own theory. But my theory is, after listening to the meters, is that it comes from side drum playing in trad grip marching along. Yep. Right? Because you've got a boom, boom. You've got a big marching drum and they're going... Right, yep. they're doing all those little um, syncopated beats, right? And so the guitar comes way, way later than all of that. That's the shit, right there. So the, all the guitar has to play, if the beat is all the guitar has to play is yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All it's just got to be simple. If if you know. that even needs. Eh? If that even, even. yeah, Yeah. you know it. So that really hit me like a, like a kick in the butt, you know. Yeah, and then Prince comes along, (laughs) you know, and, (sighs) so yeah. uh, So to tie in uh, to what we're talking about before, I know I'm sort of waxing. It's good. Uh, This is what. This is what's going to happen with COVID is people are going to want to talk and share stuff, you know, please. But um, one of the things I've learned from um, mentoring young people is that there are many ways to kind of um, stop your progress, right, and there's many ways to squash someone's, um, put out someone's fire um, or shut someone down and one of the ways interestingly is by telling someone they're a natural right you tell some kid they're a natural right and it does two couple of things one thing it might do is it might make them feel like they don't have to work right another thing it sets them up as their own hero yeah. and and a, at a benchmark that's they're going to have to reach every time right um, w- common folk call someone like Kate a natural, but I know she works really, really hard, and has always worked really, really hard at her craft. Yeah, you know, someone's not a natural. No one is a natural runner. They get up at four thirty in the morning. You still got to practice. Go still on,
1: got to practice, regardless. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. You, might, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I know what you're saying there, um, and and I underst- I understand that, and some people. You know, may be natural, and they may find oh. some things a bit easier. Yep. But still, we've still got to practice, man. Like, mm. there are some
0: there are some physiological things, for example, that <clears throat> are a wonderful predisposition to 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 a certain skill. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: Like, you know, vocal doctors can actually look into a person's voice box and go, okay these vocal cords can, could work really well for singing. Uh, uh you know a sports scientist can look at a person's physique yeah. and go well that person's cut out for running. Exactly. Yeah. So if they put in the work that that they could they could really do that, you know. Mm-hmm. But when you say someone's a natural, then you go well I could never achieve that because they've got some kind of gift, some god-given gift, you mm. know. So why yeah. why would I try to mm. um attempt to be to, to be like them, you know. So when someone like Prince comes along, I don't know about you, but I I just went, oh my God, I'm not worthy. This is this is beyond. This is ridiculous. Right. And then you realize, hours of isolation, of practice and practice and practice and practice, and sitting in there, working the studio and working the groove and working the groove, and just hours and hours and hours and hours of it, you know, days, ten thousand hours, you know, the whole the whole deal. Yeah. Same with Jimi Hendrix. Right, they say that he was practicing and playing guitar the whole time. Ten years after I was into Hendrix, you know, and I'm thinking, all oh, those amazing guitar solos that he did, he just they were they must have been like one takes because they're so natural and they're so mm-hmm. in the moment and blah blah blah. There was a bootleg of his home demo tapes, yeah, right, where he, where he was his actual solos, note for note, that he would then go into the studio and play. Right, right, right so he's working them out ahead of time because you know and he's and he's doing it you know so look I'm not breaking down the the um hero myth or the kind of like god like status myth but I'm what I'm trying to encourage is it takes a lot of work yeah and it takes a lot of focus on okay I'm going to get into this style now you know I'm going to get into this thing and I'm going to break it apart and I'm going to try and work out how how it all works you know that's a lot of work, and that's 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 what you got to kind of do. That's part of the part of the deal.
1: When you get a um, a student for the first time, yeah. What's what's your process there with that mm. with that student? Well, I don't teach. Um, I've I've sort of helped a few. Um, oh, young sorry. Folk. I meant maybe from the the Rock Academy thing. Yeah. Okay yeah, so, okay. yeah.
0: Okay. So it's more of a sort of a mentoring thing.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: the first thing that we establish with rock academy is that what happens in rock academy stays in rock academy it's uh we from from this moment forth the moment the moment we, we we meet and set up on the first day whether they're new or whether they've been to a few few rock academies is that mm. you are now a a peer you're now a um one of us cool you're cuz we've got a gig on friday yeah right yep 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 and whatever whatever else you've done you want to kind of um see this as more of a professional relationship and a relationship based on respect and hard work and collaboration um because the magic comes when all of those things are aligned you know along with your talent that you can bring and your openness and your generosity to bring in ideas, right, that's that's what we instil in them or we try to kind of say. Some people, there'll always be one that doesn't sort of like quite get it, um, but then there's this other magic thing that can kind of happen where the other young people go into mentor roles themselves and help that person come up, come on board somehow, give and take, you know, which is kind of what we do in bands and have done. All, all along yep for example um, you know we we're talking about inclusion before and um, diversity and things like that it, It's really important these days right um, in I don't believe I ever heard that term in my 40 years playing music uh, when you put a band together. Mm. it was just whoever was right whoever felt right and you know yeah. um whether someone was on the spectrum or or had problems with this you just worked with them and said oh no you know that's just james he's like that he's he's kind of i don't know what it is he's kind of a bit ocd or whatever but geez when he plays you know it make it it makes the band rock so that's yeah we we keep him on board you know he's great mm. you know what i mean yeah so Um, these, uh, this program that we do is totally like that. It's like when we were young, putting bands together, you know, if someone wasn't good at the bass, oh, sorry, guitar, it's like, why don't you try bass? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know? Or if someone came in, they broke their arm on, um, riding a skateboard, it's like, okay. And they're the drummer. It's like, you're, okay. so. You can use the other one. Cool, you're ta- you're playing tambourine and doing backing vocals. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. You know what I'm saying? Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what that's all about. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah, you you're asking sort of what would I what I say? I say um, you know, it's there are cliches like always have an open mind, but if you don't really know where your mind's at at a, as a kid, it's a bit that's a bit of a tough call, um. I think be willing to collaborate is a
1: good one because you learn yeah, along
0: the way as you're sharing stuff, you know.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. Um yeah, I that I think got... I think that's awesome because you know, when you when you you think of one-on-one teaching and you know, I've done one-on-one drum teaching mm. and stuff like that. Um mm. I never really thought of it like that. It's like like every now and then you talk about you know, uh when you are in a band situation, you might have to yeah. do this and this, but um most of the time, it was just you know me and the student, and the student me in a room, and then maybe it was just my bad teaching or something. <laughs> no, it's, that's not what I mean. But Look,
0: um, for me, for me, like I I learnt drums for a while when I was a kid, yeah, and um, the one thing that you know I'm learning paradiddles, and I'm learning double stroke rolls, and I'm learning. You know, different things. And um I was like
1: What where's this going? Yeah, where's it going? Yeah, yeah. Where's yeah. it going? I just want to play in a band, man. Well I just want to play in a band. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and if that teacher had said to me just one time, if he'd said to me, Okay, okay, so you know how we've been doing paradiddles, right? Here's why. Let's say you're playing with a band and you need to do a roll around uh the, the toms. Right, but the roll has a certain amount of numbers. Yeah. And you need to be as good on your left hand as your right, right? Because you've got to get back to the groove, right? So today's lesson, we're going to turn, don't worry about the drum fill and don't worry about paradigms. Today, we're going to work on the groove and how that would sound in a band so that when we do the roll, you're not going to lose it coming back to the groove. Yeah. So giving it context the whole time is really important and that gives a person a sense of purpose and a sense of self and and where they fit in things yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and i think that's the thing that's always brought me back to to mean to to what it means to be a musician you yeah. know where do i fit you know very cool now we've um, gone
1: pretty deep brother we've gone pretty deep early days hang on <laughs> i i just burped off off mic actually so i was going <laughs> to try and cure burp up there but that's gone Nah, <laughs> it'll <laughs> come good. back. Um, it's cool, mate. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about martial arts and mm. the crossover between, you know, the the discipline that you learn in martial arts and into music. Okay, is there has there been a direct crossover? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Without about. doubt. Yep.
0: Without a doubt. Yeah. It's um, and we we talked about it a little bit before. You know, it's um. Uh, it's not the guy with the a thousand kicks. This is Bruce Lee. It's not the guy that has a thousand techniques, or it's the one that has one technique that's done a, a thousand times, right? Um, so the thing that you learn in in martial arts, the discipline of that, is that um, you need to do basics over and over and over and drilling and drilling and drilling. You speak to a a boxer and they've got their routine, and they might have the most wicked um, right hook. That's not going to stop them from drilling and drilling and drilling that right hook, you know, and working out ways they can maybe, you know, place their feet so that it can just be a little bit, just that tiny, tiny micro bit more effective, you know. Mm. Um, And because it's physical and because you're training with another partner there has to be respect there similarly with a band there has to be respect yeah you know so there's 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 absolute correlation and it it it's kind of helped me um it no it's it's helped me a lot actually um and I continue to train and I continue to learn and even if that was the only thing that I take away from it is that in life you have to be learning Always. You have to always be learning because if you stop learning, and it doesn't matter what it is, anything, just learn something new. Yeah. If you stop, your mind actually contracts. It's like a muscle. If you don't work it, it sort of like contracts, you know? Yeah. I think it's a law of physics, if that which doesn't expand contracts, you know? Um, so, yeah, martial arts has, has been like that and I'm always learning new stuff. But I. I still train a little bit in karate. I've trained most of my life in that, and that's great. But my, my challenge came a couple of, oh, about seven years ago where I was sparring one night um, with a brown belt and um, we, we got down onto the mat on the ground and um, he, he got me in a headlock. I didn't know how to get out of it. And I'm like, shit, you're a black belt. You've been training all your life. You don't know how to get out of a headlock.
1: Yeah, yeah. So...
0: So I said right well I'm going to create my mission here and that is to go and learn ground fighting so grappling BJJ you know jiu jitsu ground fighting and um so that then I can go back into karate yeah. and reintroduce the grappling and the throwing and all of that stuff which would have been in karate and still is in many ways um but bring it back into our style so that we're we're capable on the ground as well so you know Yeah, so always learning. It's a it's very very challenging. It's demanding physically because I'm fifty fucking four or something now, Um, and that sucks ass because you know you just your body just uh, your your mind says yeah go but your body just won't won't do it. So I have to be a little bit more clever clever with it. Yeah, Um, but exactly the same as music. when i get stuck i go back to my basics i go back to the techniques and um that's the thing that will get you through um and so that's where i really um i really appreciate and acknowledge really great music teachers right mm. so like a really good martial arts teacher is someone that will really have a good respect for for the basics, without them over, without the basics and the fundamentals being an overarching part, because that's like when you get a, a guitar player and he's just playing scales, you know, without any soul or any self-expression. Yep. There's that in martial arts as well. You 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 have a an a way of that's why it's called martial art, I guess, because you can express your own way, you know. And for me, I have to get pretty creative at fifty four to grapple with a twenty four year old. Yeah, you know, right, right. You know, built like a brick shit house. So I have to really be, well, okay. What am I? Gonna, how am I going to get not choked out here? You know. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah. I
1: gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean with the martial. Arts. I mean, I've I've trained martial arts most of my life. Yep. Um, I got my black belt when I was uh, thirty three. Wow. And then I broke my back. Ah. So that was that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh
1: man. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the end of my, um, my martial arts career. I I did yeah. try and go back and do some taekwondo and got thrown, and it kind of yeah. put my back out again. Yeah. And then that was it. <laughs> yeah. But it, it gutted me. But yeah, going back, I I know what you mean by the discipline thing. Um, martial arts certainly helped me with discipline with music and in practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I would you know set myself. A practice curriculum as if I would if, when I was training,
2: yeah. doing my martial arts, <laughs> yeah.
1: um, and um, and the respect for your bandmates as well. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, it's
0: not for, it's not as you know, it's not for everyone. You know. Yeah. A lot of lot of people get put off by the the combative side of it. You know. Yeah. Um, one of the things I I often say to people is that one of the things I've learnt from martial arts or f- Karate or any of that sort of stuff is the last thing I'd ever want to get into. Is a real fight in the street, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, you know, when I see how how much somebody c- can know with, and you never would guess that they do. Yeah, that's it. Right, you don't know that some guy on the street that's being annoying, and you tell him to you know f off. You don't know what he knows. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Even the fact that he might have a, you know, he might have a gun in his back pocket. You don't yeah, know that's, that.
1: That's the thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's not worth it. So that's the one. That's one of the greatest things that's taught me. And you know, I, I'd never want to ever do that. And I'm not. I'm not. I don't really. A lot of people get into martial arts because they actually like to hurt people. I don't like hurting people. Yeah. It's horrible. You know. I
1: think. I think those people, from my experience in the martial arts that I did. Those people that came into into um um our space yeah. where we were training if they came in to hurt people uh, they, get sore they got that, hurt yeah. they got hurt yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not by me but my the master <laughs> no. my master um he had a real good bullshit meter eh yeah, he could soon sure. as somebody just walked in the door and he just picked it straight away yeah and, and yeah. yeah that was cool Um, Other instruments than guitar?
0: Not a whole lot. Uh, I sort of make my way around keyboards a little bit um, just to kind of when I'm recording. Yeah. I'm not a very, interestingly, I'm not a real, I'm not a very um, technical musician. Um, I... I find it difficult. My brain doesn't really take too easily to like the mathematics of music. And I'm really, really fortunate to have some of the most incredible musicians around me to work with and slot in with. Yeah. So I'm able to describe certain colours and things musically. Yep, yep. And they, they're they able to do that, you know. yep. yep. And if I if there was one regret that I had in my life, and that that is that I didn't focus, or I probably couldn't have focused because I didn't have the ability to, but that I didn't actually get a bit more um, uh, of those of that technical stuff under my belt, just just to get my head around it a bit more, you know, yep. the theory side of things. Mm. Um, I reckon when I have kids, which is probably going to be soonish will have to be soonish, um, is I think I'm going to kind of um, really encourage them to learn piano yep. and music and be able to read read a bit of music and do it like a fun thing,
1: yep. you know, yep.
0: because you hear so many stories of people, well, two things, mu- uh, to learn music, piano, and, and, and learn another language. Um, it just does so much for a young person's mind, I think, and brain as far as development and and Keeping them open to concepts and and new learnings, you know what I mean, like I've seen a kid who learns learns piano, knows all the notes, can read music, they'll pick up a guitar and they just go, "Oh well, that notes that so you know, and then soon enough they've they can play bass guitar, you know, and then they'll pick up a saxophone I'm, jesus
1: you know, yeah, this, wrote, this comes I, back to what we were saying before about the naturals well but well, with with that. That, you, only, you only get so far with that. You that's still right. got you still gotta fucking practice. You do,
0: but, but <laughs> they've but what they've got is they've got that foundation of having learnt how to read and play music. So they know what the notes are. So they just relate it to the instrument yep. and go, you know, I've 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 seen it. I've actually seen young guys do that, you know? It's yep. it's fantastic. Yep. it's amazing. Of course, I've also played with those freaks that can play every instrument yeah, and are just yep. They just have that thing, you know. And they're a one in a million. You know, yeah. they're really a one in a million. But um, there are some of those guys out there. Oh, yeah. yeah oh. Definitely.
1: Gee. Um, do you mind if I just go to the toilet for once?
0: Mate, go to the toilet,
1: dude. Come on, mate. Come on. Don't You're, hold me are, back. Don't hold me back. Yeah. No, are you just... going to stay? <laughs> rec- leave, leave it recording. Yeah, leave it recording. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. yeah Be back in a sec.
0: Yeah. So... Stevie's just gone off to the toilet. And uh, I thought I'd share a few thoughts with you uh, while he's at the toilet. Um, One of those thoughts is about um, what it's like to work in the studio when you're on your own. And uh, it's a very closed in environment. In fact, the key to. noise reduction and making a very quiet space is, is, is closing out all the air. So it's basically an airlock. The resulting, um, situation when you're working on your own for hours on end and you're really excited about the project that you're doing, you don't want to walk away, you tend to kind of fart every now and again. And, uh, well yeah i think you, you can imagine what that's going to was back
1: yeah we're back <laughs> we were talking earlier today about your fascination with success in the show business yeah and examining you know what that takes so i want you to dive a little, little bit deeper into that sure
0: well we've sort of covered a little bit uh when we were talking about um heroes yeah and hero worship and and like I was saying, I've kind of had those people that i've looked looked up to real life people uh in my life as I was growing up my mother, my father um some of my father's incredible students that um trained under under him in in karate, and they were my heroes they were just like they were gods, yep. you know. I would look up to them and I'd want to be like them, you know. And then through the seventies there was Bruce Lee and then and then later on there was Jimi Hendrix and there was Jimmy Page and um then of course, you know, David Bowie. And that they became my kind of like um mythical heroes, if you will, because they're distant, you know, they're not in the flesh, it's not personal. Um and the downside of it was that like i was saying earlier was that that was such a high high benchmark to kind of like aspire to be like mm. the problem there was that it kind of it was all too easy to say well i can never be like that or it's not sounding enough like hendrix or you know oh god i you know and you're constantly comparing yourself to Someone who's done the ten thousand hours, that's done the hard yards. That's you know, someone like Bowie, for example. He started off as one thing, went into another. Yeah, you yeah. know, he, he Space Oddity was first released in I think the late sixties, and then re-released um, in nineteen seventy because it kind of they had to the record company had to pull it because of the uh, Apollo thirteen uh, oh, disaster. Is that right? Is that yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Right. So then it had to be re-released, you know. So, right. yeah. So not everything is a not every one of our heroes was a hit straight off, you know. Um, and but but mythologically, we want them to be, so we'll project that onto them because that you know they can do no wrong. They're he- they're our he- heroes, right? So I I became fascinated with what makes a hero. What makes the mythology of a, um, you know, a kind of an icon, yeah. What, what, what? And mostly we project that, but also it can be fabricated, and 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 it's a really great PR campaign, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Dylan is a perfect example of that, and even himself, in his book, uh, the, the Bob Dylan Chronicles. In the first couple of ch- first couple of chapters, he talks about sort of the invention of Bob Dylan, and um, oh, before that, everyone's wondering why he he didn't do interviews for many, many, many years, right? And he talks about it. he says, "Well, if I was doing interviews and exam in um, deconstructing how I." created Bob Dylan and, and how I write my songs and what they mean and and gave the formulas to how to do it, it's giving away the myth.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's also not letting people put their own interpretation or their own swing on things, right? So he was like, I'm just going to put it out there and let people um, decide for themselves, right? I'm not going to claim to be the Messiah or anything or the next, you know, I I just write what I feel and I'm just going to throw it out there. That's one side of it. Now, the myth creation side of it is that one of his biggest influences in his early career wasn't the other folk singers, wasn't the other musicians, wasn't Woody Guthrie. It, it, It was Woody Guthrie, but... One of his biggest uh, driving forces was his publisher, an old Jewish guy that lived uptown New York, and said, uh, you know, give me some of your songs and I'll sell them off to TV commercials and pop stars. We'll make so much money, then you'll be able to do whatever you like. Right? Which doesn't sound very rock and roll, does it? (laughs) It sounds very commercial and very sellout. Yeah. But if you think about that as a formula in the early t- part of your career, he's a professional making money out of his dream, which then affords him to be able to buy studio equipment, record with the best musicians in the world, pursue his dreams, and create the most incredible music moving forward, right? So, But you don't let that story call, get in the way of the myth. So therefore, you tell that 30 40 years later you don't tell it in the moment
2: Yep.
0: right so it it fascinated me really 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 fascinated me he his the myth was that he 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 jumped a, a freight train you know with his guitar and he came into the stockyards of new york and then hitchhiked his way into new york city and f- slept on the streets you know no he was in a heated Uh, beautiful, big old Buick with a friend of the family's, sat in the back seat. They dropped him at uh, uh, Port Authority right in the middle of New York and he stayed his first couple of weeks in a cheap hotel, right? That's not as sexy as the other story, is it? (laughs) So don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, (laughs) right? Create the myth, you know, and keep... Because and it's not untruthful. It's just that that's part of rock and roll. Yeah. That's part of the thing you have to do. So, i I became very obs- i've become very obsessed and very interested in what creates that sort of thing, what creates the myth around people, um, and I came up with a little slogan that I've applied to myself. Because it was getting me down. It got it, it reached a kind of well, it's like myth blues mythology where you reach a crossroads, right? <laughs> That's a whole other thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's like you can never be you can never be brilliant unless you've done a deal with the devil, right? You can never just be great and have practiced heaps and just and just be awesome. You must have done a deal with the devil, <laughs> you know? <laughs> So I reached a, a, a crossroads. It wasn't like that, but my crossroads was geez, do I quit this whole thing? Because I'm never going to be as good as Hendrix. I'm never going to be as good as Prince. I'm never going to be as good as David Bowie. Those guys are just next level. So I decided to turn it on its head and I said to myself, you've got to stop being the fan and start being the man on all things on your pr- personal life, on your physical life with your fitness and health, on your. Attitude toward other other people. Be someone that you want to, be someone that that you would look up to. Become your own hero in a way, you know. Um, And when someone asks you who's your favourite guitarist, at the risk of sounding conceited and full of yourself and going, flying up against the, in the face of Australian kind of um self deprecation when someone says who's your favorite guitarist say well i am yeah cuz no one else is getting me gigs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know the and man start, yeah start I'm, to... I'm, I'm the man yeah i'm the man <laughs> exactly. i'm the man you exactly. know and it's you know and it's i get that attitude and that approach because it's just saying like well you know um when someone says to me hey um you know uh do you reckon you'll be able to pull off a great dance set tonight i'll go i'll say to them you have booked the right guy i am the dude for this i've come with 35 years experience i'm the man you know when you go to a to get your car fixed right if the mechanic said if if you ask the mechanic just so do you think you can fix my car and they said oh there are other guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you would fuck off yeah. immediately. Oh. I'm good. <laughs> to... I'm good. I'm good on the wheels. You can change <laughs> wheels, but yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he's gonna
0: say I'm the dude. Yeah. I, I can, I'm all over this. Trust me, I can fix this. It should be the same with this kind of thing that we're doing. You know, it's like, and also know your limitations, like Clint Eastwood says in um, in uh, one of the
1: Dirty Harry movies. Man's got to know his limitations. Um, if you're not the man. that right. Actually, that sounded like Samuel L. Jackson. I know it did. It sounded <laughs> nothing like fucking no. Dirty Harry, eh? <laughs> Come on, man. Be the man. Man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> uh, man got no, to know his yeah. motherfucking limitations. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, if you're not the man in a certain area, be, be honest enough with yourself to say, uh, you know, I'm not the right dude for this, but here's, here's what you can do, which will help you be the man. Yeah. I'm not the right dude for this, but I know just the guy. Yeah, that's... I'm going to give you his number. You call this guy. That makes you the man, Yeah, right, because you've helped someone else, you know. So being the man isn't just, and, and I say this in a way, I mean, these days with political correctness and everything, you can't say man, woman, you can't say anything these days. What I, all I mean is be you. Be I, the I, know, best, yeah. you know I know what you I'm mean. I think, you know people,
1: what I think people know what you mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So being the man isn't about being a self centered narcissist either. Yeah. It's about knowing, knowing your value and knowing what you can actually deliver, right? Yeah. And yeah. knowing the value of it that, yeah, I can deliver that. I'm the dude for that. Yeah. So that changed my life, that whole philosophy because it made me appre- re-appreciate Prince and Bowie and Bob Marley and Dylan and Hendrix and all of those godlike icons, right, because they had reached a point where they go, yep, I'm the man. Th- there's a scene at the very end of that movie, Sound City, um, yep. that Dave Grohl does, yep. Yep. and they're recording with... Paul McCartney and Paul McCartney's playing this um, four-string cigar box guitar, and they recorded a song, and it's rocking, and it's awesome. Dave Grohl and the band can't believe they're playing with Paul McCartney, and then at the very end, Dave Grohl says, "Um, oh man, I wish it could be, I wish it could be as easy as this every time." Right, mm. and Paul McCartney says, "It is. <laughs> That's it, it. Hey, right? Yeah. Because you can be certain. There's no certainties in life, right? But you can be more certain if you put in the hours, right? Yeah. Let's let's examine, for example, the myth of the Beatles." They didn't just pop up out of nowhere. They had done two or three years straight playing the Reaper Barn in uh, Germany, in Hamburg or wherever it was, playing six, six or seven sets a day and then into the night yeah. for, you know, months and months on end, playing every kind of musical style that they could and just for hours and hours and hours. They'd done 10,000 hours. Already yeah. before they you know came back to Liverpool and were as the Beatles right, so they'd done a lot of hard yards they'd done a shitload of hard yards it just didn't happen overnight you know so that by the time Paul McCartney gets to play with Dave Grohl he's the man you know it doesn't <laughs> yeah. it doesn't take that long to become that right, but you need to get to a point once you've got gathered all your influences gathered all your styles, and gone all right well. I know what I can do I know what I'm not I know what I'm not great at I know what I can't do but I definitely know what I'm I'm what my thing is that's my thing that's where I can be the man I'm going to be the man there so that's that's what has uh, that's where I've where I've arrived at from my examination of what it takes to to be in you know to be to stick out a little bit in showbiz and to have a career in showbiz you have to you have to be the man <laughs>
1: No, that that's really cool. Yeah, has that kind of gone the other way for you? If you've sort of kind of come across that way, people have seen that as arrogance and and been turned away.
0: You know, uh, I've yeah, um, in in the world, <laughs> I've kind of like seen it this way. Mm. If you speak up, you're outspoken. If you, um have confidence you're arrogant or you're conceited yeah. right. if you um if you have a talent and you want to show it you're a show off if you um are really uh good at something um and you make another person feel um sort of insecure then you're um full of yourself right there's there's no escape from the I guess the slings and arrows, right, Mm. Um, to be or not to be, you know. So what you can do in show business uh, underneath the heading of uh, the myth is you can actually create humility. You can can fake humility, Mm -hmm. right? You can have worked and done the 10,000 hours and be an incredible songwriter with 500 songs in your vault and then you come out for interviews and you're really shy. And I, mm. well, I I don't know. I I work really hard and you know, I really appreciate your 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 um compliments. Um thank you very much. And then they go back in the studio and they are motherfuckers. No, it doesn't go like that. It goes like this, you know. But their myth as a personality in 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 the world, in in showbiz, is Humble, shy, da da da. I'm just post. I'm just posing this. That could well be created. You know, that that could well be just a part of their act. You yep. know, like the Liam and Noel act. You know, <laughs> which I find wonderful. Yeah. I find hilarious. Yeah. I I I don't think they would be as Oasis as they are if they didn't do that. You know. Liam is just amazing, incredible. You know, it's it's. But whether the line between act and and real, who cares? The line exactly. between right. There are. I think when someone's arrogant is when they can't back it up with real fucking incredibly hard worked out talent. You know, um, and even if they do have that, you you have to have humility. You have to have empathy empathy you know um and you have to have a sense of of care of other people but um i'm i'm way into when someone's um confident enough to say you know what get that mic out of my face you know you're shitting me off here you know and and the media don't like it because they want to get a story (laughs) right so they quite often i'll see you know um uh, headlines like, you know, someone has a tantrum. And I look at it and I go, Well, no, that's not that that's not them having a tantrum. That's, yeah. that's them being harassed by you for this. Yeah, that's how I see it too.
1: Yeah. You
0: know? So I've had a bit of a reputation, uh, I think, of arrogance. Um okay. and um, and I totally stand accused um that in the early days I had an amazing team of friends and and mates around me, and, and we all would back each other. We had each other's back, and um the confidence, the overconfidence was unbearable. <laughs> it, it was unbearable. I like, I you like that. You know. <laughs> the um, overconfidence
1: was unbearable.
0: It, it, it was. <laughs> it was totally unbearable, but um yeah. we kind of, we were too young to know any better, you right. know? and right. later in life I kind of, uh I, not regret it, but I do look back and i do I do totally respect why that label w- would have been placed on me you know right um one of my best mates was the drummer in my band and he was also the tour manager and he was also my sister's boyfriend and you know he w- I could do no wrong he was like go for it mate go and you know we had each other's backs you know we were like brothers in arms and um and I wasn't sucking up to the to the to the right people you know I would call a spade a spade whereas you know a lot of lot of young musicians these days have very good advice from very good management that that person over there is someone you should butter up don't don't step out of line with that person because he can help you in your career right mm. um we <laughs> I kind of didn't get that advice so much <laughs> So I think I burned a few bridges in the earlier. <laughs> <Yeah, days. right. laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I think I've I've made up a bit of ground, but um and you know, that we're talking twenty five, thirty years ago, you know.
1: Right. But those people have long memories. Right. So can can you speak of one particular moment where mm. where that has possibly worked against you? Oh, t- yeah, um yeah, totally I could. Um you don't have to say names, not
0: asking for names. All right. Well, okay. Well, uh we were on a TV show once and um this is a long time ago. It was probably one of the it was one of the only TV shows where they were you know, they had live bands and things mm-hmm. and the um I don't even know if I can talk about this. Probably can. Yeah, it's probably. What do they call it? Statute of limitations. So um, (laughs) Kate was uh, assigned a dressing room and um, a young girl came in uh, with a clipboard who was working with the TV show like a sort of um, an assistant and said that Kate would need to share that room with uh, 15 other dancers, right? And I was standing at the door at the time. I said, no, she won't. (laughs) And the girl said, no, well, yes, she has to because we don't have any other dressing rooms. I said, well, Kate's not sharing the room with 15 other dancers, okay? So go and speak to whoever you have to speak to, but it's not going to happen, all right? Just Now, off you go, (laughs) you know, because this is – now, I was prepared to be the bulldog and the doorman and take the fall and be thrown under the carpet, uh, thrown under the bus. Yep. Right? Yep. That's because it's what being a sideman is sometimes, right? Problem was that girl was related to the boss of the network. <laughs> and we were boycotted from the show for about. Th- Two months oh, shit. right, right, so we and it was a big process to have to get back on and okay. apologies given, right, right, so a kind of an example of my youthful arrogance um and but at the same time defending what I thought was right, yeah, you know. But not being given the advice that, well, no, you don't. You've got to butter her up because she's the niece of right. the boss, right? So I found myself in a lot of situations like that where I would uh, just say what I thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> you know, right. I mean, later on, there were some situations where later on I'd, I'd apologize and meet up with the person. They say, "Oh no, mate, you were fine. You were just a young." guy full of beans but but some of them have said to me yeah well, you were never going to work in, in in Sydney again for a few years but you know that's all right
1: <laughs> I'm not joking no, seriously no, I, believe you. I don't mean to laugh cuz it's funny it's like fuck yeah
0: no that was yeah. yeah um yeah and similar similar scenarios like that but like at yeah. the end of the Shh. day the end of the day you kind of have to um you kind of have to just, just sort of—I don't know—roll um, with it, roll with and, it, they, yeah, yeah. Get over it, and you know, m- my thought is that I never claimed to be an expert in public re- relations back then, at the age of twenty-three. Yep. You know, all like all I was making claims to is just get me on the stage, and I'll put on a show, and I'll entertain the punters. Everything else at the moment is. The jury's out. You when know, I'm a you know, work in progress, so I've got no idea which way's up, you know. But put me on the stage, and you know, I'll I'll do I'll I'll do everything I can to make it a great show, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't understand how to express that back in those days. Right. <laughs> Good job. Good job. And also, when family's involved, there's another level. Yeah. Yeah. Of. And it could be interpreted as arrogance or it could just be interpreted as, like, brotherly, um, uh, protective nature. Yeah, I I know what you're saying, yeah. You know? So, yeah, there was that there (laughs) as well. Yeah, because
1: we we look after our own, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's that, you
0: know? It's that. Yeah. It's that, you know? Yeah.
1: Very cool. Now, so like you said, you... Um you and your wife have a PR company, Flourish yeah. PR. Yeah. Myself, I don't I don't understand what a PR company is. Yeah. So um now, I'm Stevie Taylor from the Gig Life Podcast, and I'm coming to you Flourish PR. Yeah. What are you gonna do for the Gig Life Podcast if I if I was <sighs> to come to you as a client? Just so yeah. so I can understand what What a PR company does, because I, to be honest, I'm not quite sure. Okay. So
0: the way I describe um, PR to people, it's a very misunderstood um, industry. Mm -hmm. PR comes under the banner of marketing, right? Right. And partnered up with advertising. So advertising... The way I describe it, advertising is they're the people that arrange the site to put the billboard on. They'll do the artwork and come up with the slogan. Okay. And they'll book the models, take the photos, and they'll put the billboard up on the side of the highway. Okay. Yep. And hopefully it's eye-catching enough to get people to lift their heads up and look at it. And for the two, three or four seconds that it's there, right? that image and the slogan and the brand gets imprinted on their brain. Right. 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 The part that PR plays in that is once they've looked up at the billboard, they go something registers not only the slogan and the brand but they go, oh, I've heard of that before, right? So they've heard of it through an article they've they've read or an interview that they were listening to or a podcast, or an influencer on social media that was talking about it, or uh, someone in a podcast mentioning it, right? Right. And so this is all about what PR does is it brings things from the back of the mind to the front of mind. Oh, yeah, right. I've heard about that thing, right? Um, So that's what PR does. It's like, like, um, let's say... um, Let's say, Tama, right? Pearl. Bring, let's say Pearl. Let's say Pearl, right? <laughs> Brings out, an, yeah, good. The, okay. You just, ex, you just, you've just, um, ex, you've just explained it to yourself, right there.
1: Okay, gotcha.
0: Okay, so yep. we're in a conversation on a podcast or an interview. I'm, I'm your PR agent, and I have said to you, if they say Tama, you say Pearl, right? And if you've forgotten to do that, I'm off camera going, Pearl. Okay. Gotcha. That's what a PR guy does. Okay. Right? That's it. That's all it is. Right. Right. So then it's up to the rest of the marketing team and the advertising team to link up all of those things. Right. Right, right. Stevie said Pearl, right? Um, You can find Stevie's um, uh, endorsement link at The bottom of, of of that, of the recorded version of that interview, right? To the Pearl website right. where he, where his vlog, his, his, uh, vlog talks all about his, his latest kit, right? Right. That's what we do,
1: right? Very cool,
0: right? So, with your podcast, you know, it, it could be anything from, um, from, getting other influencers to talk about your podcast, to get a government body to sort of to get you on to talk about um, how you've been talking to musos and w- 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 what they feel about b- a life in um, isolation without gigs, right. Right? right, which gives them a story and it gives you a story. Right. And th- Right, and then that story brings people to your podcast. Right. That's what PR is.
1: Right. That's, that's cool.
0: Yeah. That's yeah, really cool. Just, it is, but you can see how it's a it's a very creative field because you yeah. have to be dodging and weaving and kind of like and 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 trying to work out how you to you got to know
1: you got to know, tr- know the trends and what people That's are looking it. at and listening to and you got it following and yeah. liking and that kind of yeah. stuff.
0: eh? Hey? yeah, totally, and yeah. quite often with products when it comes to products, I mean, uh, let's take it away from drums because you've got an affiliation
1: already. You know, I don't. I, 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 well, I don't. I just. You, you I should said, have. Well, I play I play Pearl, yeah. and after after today, um, yeah. hopefully I'll be signing that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: well, the, the, just think about guitars, right? Like um, when when I in the um, in the late '70s and '80s, early '80s, everyone played strats, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't until um, Slash came along, yep. right? And I do believe his a lot of the early. Guns and Roses stuff was played on a copy Les Paul yeah what it was yeah, yeah it was so he basically put Les Paul's back back on the map yep right and that's brilliant PR right so then a PR company would jump in and say okay well we're going to represent slash right and and we're going to uh, create a deal with Gibson yep you know so they become that person my right. my wife worked with Sony Music for for 10 years. Oh, right. And, yeah, and she would do things like she, Guns N' Roses coming into town, um, we need to get, find an extra 50 grand for uh, for billboards. Let's approach Harley Davidson, right, mm-hmm. because it's a similar brand that kind of, um, that that helps each other out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they would come on board yeah. with, 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 with uh with a deal to help promote the tour, right? Uh, and and also give naming rights. So that's what that's also what a PR sort of entity will do, right? Yes, it's a lot in it.
1: Yeah. It is. There is a lot in
0: it. So so many variables. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And mm-hmm. another thing we're doing a lot of is podcasts. So oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, corporates. Who better to tell about a product than the CEO of the company? Right. Right. So getting them into a podcast and talking about the company rather than um some um uh, representative it's coming straight from the horse's mouth, right? right? So doing doing a podcast with the CEO of a company that's selling I don't know, uh let's say they're selling kitchen products, right? And getting them co- talking to someone who's an incredible chef. Right? or someone from MasterChef or, or someone who's just a really great p- person that loves to cook, Yeah, it's engaging. It's like we were saying before, it's authentic. It's got all the kind of conversational um, traits of a natural conversation and without pl- plugging away and selling products. You know what I mean? Right. So you get the picture?
1: I do, 100%. Yeah. Now, I have a segment on the podcast now, and it's fairly new. It doesn't have a name yet. Yeah. Working on that. And basically, what it is, I, I have a um, Gig Life podcast Spotify playlist. Yeah. And up until a while ago, that playlist has had songs um, that have featured all the guests that I've had. In some way, they may have played on the played on a song, or it's their yeah. song. So what I've what I've decided to do is kind of add to the list by I'm, I ask my guest to choose one song and only one song only that's had yeah. the biggest what they think is the biggest influence on them okay. and I'm I'm going to ask you what that song is now
0: okay um so without kind of uh letting the listeners in on the fact that we've already had the conversation and you already know what <laughs> song it is <laughs> 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 you've got it ready to line it's, it's ready, ready to go <laughs> it's ready to go yeah um You know, the song that I'm thinking of would have to be Heroes by David Bowie. Um, There are, obviously there are probably a hundred other songs as well that have had a lot of influence on me, but um, that song just seems to strike a chord in my heart and soul that, I don't know, of course David Bowie died, it was a couple of years ago now, a few years ago, and... uh, I I was in San Francisco at the time working with my my wife and um, I got a message on my phone in the middle of the night uh, from someone back here in Australia about Bowie and um, I sat in the lounge room and looked across the the city skyline of San Francisco and played heroes and just burst into tears and blah 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 Mm. Mm. Um, and what I what I love about that song is that it um it has so much emotion but it's not cheesy it has so much power but it's not kind of like macho or masculine mm-hmm. it's got a lot of rock and roll um but it's not obviously kind of um like uh it's not the influences aren't so obvious that it's like um Pastiche Pastiche yep. It's truly yep. original Yep You know But at the same time They're obviously not Um Kind of Um Incredibly intricate chord changes Or You know incredible, Incredibly Sort of Um Thought through Clever dick Parts Yep They Just all the ducks are in a row On that song yeah, the production and the parts and the and his vocal and even from just a production perspective, when um, the producer sits down and talks about it, there's there's a video you can see um, where um, Visconti, the producer, uh, talks about each track. There was just a uh, really organic approach to layering up all the different sounds that make that incredible soundscape. Yep. And um, emotionally, it just it just kills me. There's something so powerful about it, you know? Um, yeah, and I'll never forget when it came out and, and the film clip was just him, you know, looking weird and kind of alien-esque. And, and I was just thinking, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's, uh, that's what I want uh, that, to... That, that's, that's something to kind of uh, aspire to, is that kind of thing, that sort of expression. Yeah. But without being... Without being a, an imitation, you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: For me, for me, that song, the guitar, is just hypnotic. It's hypnotic,
0: yeah. So that's Robert Fripp, and he did two takes and uh they kept them both in and it's just and you know everyone see this is where the geekness comes in everyone goes oh it's ebo because it's a constant sort of sustained note it wasn't he just he just had the um he just set his guitar so that it was distorting enough um yeah. to to sustain and he stood enough, close enough to the amp so it would just sustain long notes you know oh, wow. and and it hasn't been thought through you know it's just like all right yeah. Just do this sort of thing. This
1: goes back to what you said really early on about performing and like singing that that bung note or playing that wrong chord or, you know, like Bowie's vocal. If you're going to try and analyze vocal, it's not perfect vocal, but it's fucking Bowie, man. That's right. And, you know, I've got (laughs) to say. Yeah, it's so. I remember. Like, listen, that's, you know, that's.
0: Yeah. That's out there. Totally, and there's, there's yep. certain ways that he, that he falls off a note which is, like, technically wrong. Yeah, yeah, right. in, in yep. every way it's right. Yep. You know, it's so right, and I dearly hope that the young singers of, of today don't just dismiss those sorts of people because they're not necessarily technically right on the money. You've also got to have that. Funk in there, you know, and def and Bowie definitely d- did have that. He's one of my biggest influences
1: of all, is Bowie. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Mm. Now, um, going back to the COVID thing, um, there's been a handful of things that have kind of stood out to me um, on social media that have made me smile and made me laugh, and I. Honestly, can't wait to see the next one. Yeah. And one of those things has been your ISO dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. So, uh, it, like, um, listeners, go to the show notes. Go to Phil's Instagram. There's a whole bunch of Phil's dancing. and It's it's the – if it doesn't make you smile, um, I'll give you a free uh, – One of those beers. I'll give you a beer. Next what? time I see you, I'll buy you a beer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um
0: okay so, so how did what,
1: that- how had that come about man that just that idea of that, that uh I was dancing. literally
0: sitting on the couch, and the whole absurdity of this thing kind of really sort of hit home yep, and um it actually got my wife and I really down, like we yep. were yep. like really devastated because yep. our business is taking off, and gigs are going great and it it For for a lot of people, 2020 was going to be the year, you know?
2: Yep.
0: And I I kept thinking about Gene Kelly singing in the rain, you know? And, And I was like, you know, the only way we're going to be able to get through this lockdown is by having some sense of fun, absurdity, ridiculousness, you know, lightheartedness a bit of humor because <laughs> the double irony of it is that literally it's an Instagram post that's 15 seconds long right and i've literally been sitting on the couch watching ozark just before it <laughs> right <laughs> and going,
1: oh how good season 3 by oh, the way so good Fuck. so good. Watch Ozark. This podcast was brought to you by Ozark, Ozark, season three. Oh, it's so good.
0: (laughs) But I was like, you know what? I've got to do something to sort of shake me out of it, you know, because I can't do my martial arts. I can't do my surfing. I can't do, you know, I can't go fishing with my uncle Jeff. I can't do any of that. I've got to shake this out somehow, you know. And uh, I just started it up and it was like, oh, that feels good. That, I look forward to doing this each night, you know. And I, I've gotten a bit slack in the last uh, few days, I guess. Because yeah, you have. You have. I have, and I've oh, been down. It's got me down. it has so. got you down. Yeah, <laughs> that's. You know, I I actually nominated a couple of people to do some ISO dances, and yep. a couple couple of people came forward. Oh, good. Um, I'm also doing some 25 push ups thing as well, uh, yep. which I do every morning. But yeah, you can have that. Yeah, oh. I know. <laughs> But the ISO dance thing actually makes me feel good, and um, great, great. It just is this sort of sense of uh, absurd kind of freedom, and I think more people should do it. My my wife thinks I should get on TikTok and all of that. I've checked all of that out. It's a bit like it's a bit next level, but yep. I'll I'll, ex- I'll explore it or whatever. I yep. don't, even though I'm in show business and 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 I love I love doing gigs, you know but i'm not really great at the whole look at me look at me sort of thing it's not about that it's about yeah i got I gotcha. you you yeah. know it's it's more about hey we're all stuck in at home here's something i'm just going to do something you know yeah.
1: and here it is <laughs> it's you know <laughs> my little offering <laughs> one of my favorites is the when you're outside the restaurant oh yeah and the couple walk past with the dog <laughs> And they don't even look. <laughs> they don't even. <laughs> and they—they've seen you. They've like <laughs> Yeah. They've walked past and gone, oh, fuck. Yeah. Where was this guy? I bro?
0: know. Jeez. I know. I know. That was one of the first nights we actually got
1: out of the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's how you captioned it too. Yeah, wasn't it was it? like, was oh, without, geez, yeah,
0: big night out. We're driving around the corner of the pizza <laughs> shop. <laughs> You know so look I'm inspired. I'll do one tonight just for you. Oh great that'd yeah. be good. Have you got yeah. any requests any any funky songs or anything?
1: Um just anything actually I have I'll have to go and look oh okay so on that then yeah. there's a whole there's a whole Spotify playlist okay of Phil's songs yeah for the ISO dance so I'll link that in the show notes go and check but, it out. Yeah um okay let me have a quick look and just
0: make um, sure it's not one that I haven't already done. Or even better, just pick a random tune that you love. Maloko, Sing It Back. Done. Thank you.
1: Done. I love that tune. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That was a great era of dance it, music. It sure was. It really it sure was. was. And that was that was kind of around that time where we were talking, where things started getting a bit dark. Professor Groove Time, <laughs> Sydney was Time. was late, late 90s, early, early yeah. 2000s, I think it was. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, tidy totally.
1: Sing it back.
0: I might do. I might great, do a whole series great. of that era. Sing oh, it great, back, great, Lady, you remember? Lady, yes, oh,
1: yes. So good, cause my feelings. Oh is man, just so right. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, all right. I'll do that. Phil Sobrano, it's been an absolute joy, man. Hanging really out with you has. tonight and, and uh, ha- having a chat. Can't wait to actually sit down and um have a beer together. Have a beer together and have a laugh and yeah. And um thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. And uh yeah, all the best for the for the coming months and um I'll be watching the ISO dance man. I can't wait. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna do the nineties dance era. Okay. That's so cool. Okay, all right. Brilliant. Thanks, Stevie. Good on you. All right, Phil. Take it easy, man. Cheers. All right, see you, brother.
0: We'll
2: mm-hmm.